Is England a racist country? What does taking the knee actually mean? In this episode, I'll try to cover a bit what happened post the Euro Cup final of England versus Italy, where three English players received a massive amount of racial slurs directed towards them and abusive posts because of missing three penalties. I'm Ismail Pai Civico, and this is The Civic Podcast. Welcome again to the Civic Podcast. So I want to kick off this episode with one very simple phrase. England is not a racist country. And why am I speaking about England specifically? And it's well, basically following what happened after the Euro Cups finals and all the abusive posts directed towards Rashford, Saka and Sancho, um, the abhorrent and disgustingly disgraceful kind of comments they received. Uh, some of them were racist comments, most of them were abusive posts um, because they, they missed the, the three penalties and I think Saka was the one that missed the last decisive penalty, let's say. And that's why I'm speaking specifically about England because then of course we can, well, we could put uh, the whole Great Britain in or United Kingdom, but they're not held at the same scrutiny as England in itself because of course uh, inside the United Kingdom, England is the is the oppressive country in within that structure because where we have London is where you have Westminster uh, is where you have most of the conservative voters and of course um, and I'm saying it's not held against um, to the same scrutiny because when I when I when I do speak with people here in Brussels about about the UK um, for them England is so bad and for example Scotland is so good because Scotland voted Remain in 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 its, in its grand majority and I'm a Remainer I still am. Uh, that that's not the question here, but it's this it's this idea behind England that because most of them did vote indeed to leave the EU, that half of the English population is racist or is xenophobic or is um, bigoted, however you may call it, right? And this one I'm speaking more specifically about England, but you could take it as a generalization a bit more around the UK or Great Britain. So if you haven't heard, you probably have. What happened is that in the Euro Cups finals, um, the three players that missed their penalties were people of colour, Rashford, Sancho and Saga. So this, of course, um, had its consequences where lots of people sent a lot of abusive posts uh, to these three players specifically, but then we can speak about other players that received also so other sorts of abusive posts uh, and comments, let's say, all throughout the, 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 the Euro Cup in itself. But... This is what happened basically, and in within those abusive posts, there was a around five to ten percent of those posts that were that were racist, so so racial slurs against these three players, and that's a bit what happened. But I'm I'm going to go back a bit in time and and and, and give you a bit of data because this was already spoken about throughout the Euro Cup uh, in mid in mid uh, June. Actually, the Guardian um, wrote an article basically saying the whole all the abusive posts that the England players were receiving from the fans, right? So in total, the England team received around 2,000 abusive posts. This was, I think the date of this article was 17 of June. So it was way before the, the final, right? Uh, and around 102 of those were racist, were racist comments uh, or posts. So about 5% uh, of all those uh, abusive posts. 
Uh, Cain, for example, which is white, received around 500 of them, so 493 abusive posts, and within them were anti-Semitic uh, posts, basically, and, and insults towards him, because uh, Cain is Jewish, or at least from Jewish culture. I'm not entirely sure if he's, uh, if he's highly religious or not. And then the, the second player most criticized also and, and abused, not criticized, I wouldn't say that's criticism in itself, but abused more like, or Sterling, which of course is a person of color, uh, with around 381 abusive posts and 49 racist messages towards him. Other players were Phil Foden and, uh, and Pickford also received loads. And this is without counting the person within the team that received most abusive posts, was uh, the trainer, Gareth Southgate. So he's the one that received most abuse on behalf of the fans, even when they were still winning the Euros, right? So, so this, is not even, this is not even when they lost. Uh, they weren't even out of the tournament at this point. But just to give you a bit into perspective, how many abusive posts were indeed directed towards the whole of the English team. And then we can speak about the specifically racist post directed towards the people of color on the team, because I've heard of course, if they were white, they wouldn't be held to the same to, to the same standards, right? This shows the systemically racist um, English community or, or English people, and that's why they they felt the the well. How, how could you say this? Uh, that they could they had the power, let's say, to criticize someone because they were black and, and not because they were white. Uh, I'm going to repeat: even when they did not lose the most criticized and abused, not again, gonna scrap the word criticized, I keep using that word, but it's not criticism, um, abusive messages, the person that most received them was Harry Kane, right? It was, it was, it was Harry Kane, and that's just not debatable. It's, it's, in, it's, it's in the numbers, The Guardian wrote this. So you can't say it is right-wing politics pushing this kind of nonsense because The Guardian wrote this exact article on the 17th of June or 14th of June, um, it was in mid-June, right? And then, of course, you can speak about taking the knee, which England was the team that, that took most the knee in every single match. They always took the knee. This was mainly a decision, I think, by Harry Kane. And the whole team basically decided to take the knee. And what is the difference with taking the knee, actually? Is that really speaking against racism or does that represent something else? And I'm going to dig into that a bit further on, too, because this really needs to be understood. And I think most people, actually, I think Harry Kane received most of the... Um, um, abuse actually because he was the main person pushing towards taking the knee um, in the matches so that, so, so that should say something so what, what I want to say about taking the knee is that taking the knee is not just a stand up against racism right you can't just pick a political symbol and give the definition you want to that political symbol it's for example if I take now the hammer and the sickle and I say no this represents li liberalism right I could say that, I could say, no, this for me represents liberalism, but the truth is, is that it doesn't. It was used before for different movements with a different idea, a whole different philosophy behind it. So I can't just make it my own and give it my own definition. And matter of fact is that taking the knee does have a specific political definition and revendication to it, right? Namely, the first person that did it was Colin Kaepernick in the United States, and he did it when um, the United States National Anthem came out waving the flag etc and this was his stand against the systemically racist society in which he lived in which i've said it many times before and i'm gonna dig into it a bit later on too systemic racism is a fallacy it's a lie it does not exist it's a it's a it's a game of semantics it's a game of wordplay so people don't understand what it actually means it's like critical race theory um people people just take it as 
people take it for granted, uh, not, not, not for granted, but people don't think about the actual meaning behind it because they think it's just racism. And of course, everyone knows there's racism in the world. Everyone knows there are racists, right? I mean, you can see it through the, through the amount of abuse that Pickford, sorry, Pickford, uh, Rashford, Sancho and Saka actually received after the, after the Euro Cup final, right? Of course, there are racists in the UK and there are racists in every single country in the world. But that's not the issue here. The issue here is, are you going to put a whole country in the same box just because just because of the action of a few. And I'm saying a few because there were around, what, 100 after the match? After the finals, around 200 abusive posts. And I think within those, if we take, because there weren't actually the numbers. I've, I've searched them all around, all around, and I did not actually find them. You did not see the numbers of exactly how many racial, racially motivated comments there were against the three players. They just said abusive posts, and Twitter deleted around 1,000 of them. So if we take around the same... Um, uh, uh, proportions as in these posts, I'm going to guess around 5 to 10% of those abusive posts were indeed racially motivated. So around what, 100, 200 maybe, 500, and then in the end when the, um, when the police got into it and tried to search who wrote these posts, they didn't find many people. One person was found indeed, um, and, and I'm glad they're actually taking action against him. He got his, uh, his scholarship refused at Nottingham University, I think it is, because of this racially motivated slur he 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 threw at I, f I forgot who it was but I, it was either I think it was Rashford uh, most likely so he got his scholarship uh, removed and I think yeah, as it should indeed I think people should be should be taken accountable by their actions right so this is not to say there aren't racist people of course there is and we can see them this is the exact proof of that my whole issue is with the with, with systemic racism uh, in itself because systemic changes the whole meaning of racism right because it doesn't actually hold it against the intention it holds it that is in the basis in the actual structure of every single western society and in this case specifically the united kingdom or before well and, and still today but where it was born it was mainly in the united states and i think we need to be very careful when we take issues that are happening in the united states or issues that we might think are happening in the united states and perfectly translate them into another country with a whole different culture with a whole different system uh with a whole different demographic like is the United Kingdom or in this case England. To take an, an easy example, one of the slogans of the Black Lives Matter movement was uh, to revendicate, let's say, um, racial equality, if you will, or or to criticize uh, police brutality against the black community. They walk down the street and they lift up their hands saying, please don't shoot, right? So the, the, the Black Lives Matter movement took this exact same slogan and took it to the UK, right? What, what happened there is that they were walking down in the UK, lifting up their hands and saying, please don't shoot. My whole issue with this is how many people have you heard in the UK that have been killed by the police or shot by the police, really? Um, I don't think there are that many, in all honesty. I mean, I tried to look before. This year, there was one. This year, one person got killed in the UK uh, by a policeman uh, so, so direct death uh, from a policeman, and his name was Kelvin Iguani. Uh, I didn't hear of this. I had to search it because I was generally interested to in see how many people died by the police this year. And Kelvin Iguani was uh, a Nigerian football player that played. I don't know what the team, but in any case, and basically he was shot and killed by by the police in Milton Keynes in the in the United Kingdom. Excuse me, in England, in the United Kingdom. So. This was, on the, this was on the 26th of June, so a, a month ago, nearly a month ago, he was shot. He was shot dead. Uh, I didn't see any article on the BBC about this. Uh, the only people that wrote about it was The Sun, 
um, Daily Post, I think, and a few other, well, not big mainstream media channels, let's say, or, or magazines or anything of the sort. So I didn't really hear about it. But basically what happened is that he killed a person in his house and then he took a child and a woman hostage. The woman managed to escape. She called the police. The police came in. They saw a dead body. They, saw, they, they heard the child crying. And then in the end, they tasered the man and, and they shot him. And my question is, why hasn't this been brought to light why haven't we heard about him why haven't we heard about calvin iguani and and basically i think there are two reasons because they know they have no claim against an um an unlawful um killing let's say uh of a person because he was he wasn't innocent like has happened in the united states uh people that have been innocent people essentially that have been killed by by the police but i think that says another issue that that should be discussed which i have talked about before on this podcast, but in any case, we didn't we didn't hear anything about and and he was a black man. He 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 was a Nigerian player. So my whole question is, why wasn't there an enormous outrage when a black man was shot and killed in in the UK? And I think because it didn't have really any 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 arguments behind the fact that he was unlawfully killed uh, or unjustly killed, right? Because I think there is reason behind um, the decision that the policeman had to take at that exact moment, especially for. The, the the safety of the child this actually come into to a personal anecdote because it, it reminded me of something that happened to me um a, a month and a half ago so i have this house that i'm renting out a few well it's, it's not mine it's long story short but i'm the one uh, that needs to take care of the of uh, of renting out the apartment and i'm, I'm the brother of one of, of one of the of one of the guys i rented out the apartment to was staying there for five days and basically what happened he took his girlfriend or his ex-girlfriend hostage right um so it was a it was a hell of a situation uh the other four tenants that were there one of them caught called me and then i had to go there running and it was saturday morning at like 10 a.m um so the person there held the held his girlfriend hostage the guy was 24 25 years old and and the woman she was uh, 17 years old so she was a minor right and the whole issue behind her being a minor is that police need to be a lot more a lot, a lot more careful with what they do because different standards do apply when we are treating with minors especially when it comes to uh to police engaging in in violence essentially to to protect the innocent and in this case it was a very very difficult situation um the man took a hostage for like 12 hours uh on a whole saturday from like 10 11 a.m up until 12 p.m that same evening i was staying there all day it was raining it was a horrible day though they were like i think a hundred hundred policemen or everything like ambulances um firefighters policemen the SWAT team um social services anyway it was it was a whole lot of a mess but but I saw with my own eyes that they didn't need to be they had to be very careful because there was a minor in danger and basically the guy barricaded himself in his room uh, with the woman with some knives and then actually when I went to the house uh, the, the day later well, I went after there when when they took out the person because I had to come in through the windows and through the main door uh, with uh, with uh, with gas bombs or or I don't even call this but, but but the bombs basically that that blew his vision for I don't know how long but anyway they got in through uh, by force in the end after twelve hours of trying to negotiate with the person he 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 wouldn't concede and they took him out and then I went into the house and the house was full of blood uh, basically I think the the woman managed to cut him with one of his knives at some point so the whole uh, bathroom was full of blood the 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 the, uh, the sitting room sorry the sitting room uh, the bedroom was full of blood where he barricaded himself with with all the furniture um but but in any case so this is just to explain that policemen do need to be very careful when when it comes to minors in um in a violent situation right it's it, it's 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 not it's not easy to assess at that exact moment 
So I think that's the main reason why this story didn't come to light, right, about uh, Calvin Iguani. Because generally, I do think the policeman had good reason to, to shoot that person because the, the, the life of a child was in danger. And there was already a dead body there, right? There was already a dead body uh, inside that room uh, where now, apparently, uh, he's been charged guilty because he did kill he did kill that person too. So we need to be very careful. So the, the same issues, this is just to say, the same, issue, the same issues in the United States when it comes to police brutality, we do not have them in the United Kingdom or in England. Uh, policemen in the UK hardly ever carry guns. There are very few policemen that do. I think that's been the case for uh, 80 years now. I think it was like in the 40s or 50s that they changed a bit the, the legislation behind policemen carrying guns, which in the end worked out quite well. Only issue is that there is quite a bit of knife crime, especially um, uh, quite a big rise in knife crime in, in London, for example. But but that's a separate issue. Uh, I'm, I'm actually nothing against four guns. Um, that is something I am against the, the American system a bit, but I think we need to understand it, take it in, 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 into the context. Because the United, the United States, as far as I can see, um, doesn't just carry the guns because it's in the Constitution, it's also uh, very cultural. Uh, they are very wary of government. Um, they are very. They don't trust it. In comparison to Europe, I think in Europe there's a bigger trust of the government in in general. Uh, we made our peace with uh, with with bureaucracy, let's say, with, with big institutions, uh, with the welfare state. In comparison to the United States, which is just a little bit different. So we shouldn't think that just because it's happening in one country, it should happen in the other. This is to come back to the idea that that's basically what happened with Black Lives Matter, is that the movement got perfectly translated into the UK, when in the UK, no one you have the same issues, even in the United States, Black Lives Matter is not even justified because of lots of different reasons that I, that will bring up on another episode. But in any case, it's, it is even less in the United Kingdom. So taking the knee essentially represented that, represented a, a manifestation, a revendication against systemic racism in a specific society. And when someone makes a claim of systemic racism or institutional racism, or now we're seeing structural racism, and I'm gonna explain a little bit later why there's been this shift in language a bit, because they know they can't longer, they can no longer make the claim of systemic or institutional racism. So now they, they, they brought up the structural racism. Um, and, and language does, um, does have meaning, right? That's the whole point of language that every word I espouse actually has a definition to it. And that's why you can understand me, because you know, what each word means. But at this point, we don't even understand what these people are saying anymore because it just doesn't make any sense. There's no actual definition behind it and it keeps shifting um, from one person to another. Happens the, same, happens the same with critical race theory, for example. Each person has their own definition of it. And then when you actually get a, a more or less clear definition, they will go like, oh no, uh, this is that's not systemic, uh, um, sorry, systemic racism. That's not critical race theory. You didn't understand what critical race theory is. So it is very difficult indeed to enter their game if we're not even playing under the same rules and the rules here being the actual definition of the language that we need to use in order to sustain a conversation, which it, it is not happening. That's why I, um, yeah, I get quite frustrated with both sides speaking their own language, even though we may think we're all speaking English, or if it's in Spanish, Spanish, or in French, French, whatever that, that language may be. But, but but in reality, no one is, understand, is understanding no one. So no one's understanding each other, and it's just a whole big mess. Right. So that's basically what happened uh, with taking the knee. And what proof do I have of this that taking the knee is a political stance? Well, I'm going to take the example of what happened. It was back in April this year, actually, uh, through a match between Valencia and Cadiz uh, in Spain. And basically, one of the Cadiz players uh, insulted um, through a racial slur 
to a play from Valencia that was a person of color, uh, so he was black, and and, and he insulted him. Uh, I don't know what he said. Um, I think he said something like "negro de mierda" or something like that. Um, I, I apologize for, for for using the language, but I think people should know exactly what was said uh, in that context, which completely appalling behavior from 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 a football player. And what happened then is that the Valencia team left left the court. Uh, sorry, the court, the pitch. Um, they left the pitch, and then the, the the player that got that got assaulted, let's say verbally assaulted, uh, told his teams uh, his teammates, guys, go back to the match, whatever. And then every single person around the world, every single team, got behind this player, and and rose against, let's say, this this racial slur that was that was espoused. Even the the the, the Cadiz team. Um, apologized for it they explained they were going to take some uh, specific measures against the player that said it i can't remember the name of the player i can't even remember the name of the player that got that got um verbally assaulted but you can just look that in the internet just look at the uh, um, valencia Cadiz um, football match and then you can see what happened exactly so everyone in the football realm got behind um the the the, the victim in this case right especially in spain especially in spain it was a big thing in spain and now you can see that throughout the Euro Cup, um, only a handful of teams took the knee, so-called to 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 support um, anti-racism in a way. But again, anti-racism is another term that hasn't even been well defined because it's it's another game of semantics that the left likes to use a lot when it comes to anti-racism and not being racist, which doesn't mean the same thing. If you're not racist, you're not necessarily anti-racist, and you're still part of the oppressors, which is a which is a funny way of seeing things. So this is what happened, and, and 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 I don't know. I have a hard time believing that it's just a time span of two months. If taking the knee really does mean to be against racism, right? Not anti, but to be against racism, which is what some people are saying. Following actually a retweet from one of the England players uh, against something that Pretty Patel tweeted out, which I which I will bring up uh, just very shortly. That they say this is just a stand against racism. What it actually isn't, because I'm I'm I'm, I'm I don't know. I'm I'm a bit naive, or or I'm a bit careful into thinking that the whole of the world now is racist for example the spanish team did not take the knee one single time and i don't believe they are racist because they were the first ones that actually did speak against that racial slur that was bat out another uh, at a person of color uh, in a football match in spain right so 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 okay what do we make of that so have they actually understood what taking the knee mean what taking the knee means and again, taking the knee is a rendication of the Black Lives Matter movement, which is a Marxist movement, uh, is a movement that wants to do a lot of things and I can't see them actually wanting to actually better uh, the lives or improve the lives of black people in the United States. To give an example, they haven't once, not even once, spoken about um, fatherlessness in the black community in the United States, which I think now is around 70%. So 70% of, of black children in the United States grow up without a father. Um, so they grow up in in uh, in single mother homes, only with their mum. In comparison to around eighty years ago, it was around only twenty percent. So is the United States now more racist than it was eighty years ago? Is this fatherlessness purely a an outcome of the systemic racism? So if if, if that's the case, you need to believe that the United States today in twenty twenty one is more racist than it was throughout the Jim Crow era, which again I have a hard time believing that. Um, so that's again something taken into account. BLM does not really care about minorities or the oppressed. Just another big example is what they tweeted out, or actually it was an Instagram post. Sorry, 
I think they tweeted it too, but uh, speaking uh, for the Cuban government, basically saying that Cuba, it's how it is now because of the embargoes of, of bigger economic powers like the United States on Cuba, cutting the supply lines towards the communist government. Um, and I spoke about it just in the last episode. You just need to look at the Cuban constitution to know that Cuba is indeed a dictatorship. It's a dictatorship. And not once they put that in question. They're trying to zigzag around the issue that Cuba is how it is now. Firstly, because it's a communist country and secondly, because it's a dictatorship. Hell, if it wasn't a dictatorship and people want to or to organize themselves and do that out of their own free will, then go ahead, then you'll see uh, at the end when it goes horribly wrong and then you come to the free market side where actually we see that's the only way that actually works and creates the fairest society possible. People say, how can you say a free market creates a fairest society possible? Well, just go and see how many people are lifted out of poverty every single day for the last 40 years. Just go and see how those numbers. A lot of people are lifted out of poverty thanks to the free market system. Are, they fl are there flaws to it? Of course there are. In every single progressive society, when you try to progress or economically or socially or culturally, there are going to be people that are going to be left behind. So that always happens. That doesn't mean that that specific system hasn't lifted out most people out of poverty and has given them some specific opportunities they wouldn't have had in other areas or in other spaces. Right. So... Again, um, coming back to why I was saying the, the, this thing about England, I think I, I moved a bit uh, into more like the, 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 the racial question more on a, on, on a global scale. But after the match, there were around 1,000, 2,000 abusive posts. And around that, there were around, what, um, 200 uh, racial, uh, racially motivated slurs against Rashford, Saka and Sancho for missing the penalties take into proportions right this is what maybe five percent of all the of all the abusive posts that's without counting because we didn't even hear how many actually uh, abusive posts gareth southgate received because I, I do think in the end it was his fault uh to putting uh young players um to do the penalties in the end but again it's what happened and it's never easy to take a penalty and and what i saw after the match is that the big majority of of the england team of england supporters of england fans were behind Rashford, Sancho and Saka. We were really behind them, all of us. We were, people were sending messages of support. Uh, it's not easy to take a penalty, especially in such a nerve-wracking um, final. I mean, really, the, the, the nerves at that moment, I couldn't even imagine for those three England players what they would have gone through. And most of the people in the studies, especially after the racial slurs came out and when, his, uh, when, when Rashford's mural in, in Manchester got defaced, the, the next day, the amount of support messages that were there, right? So the vast majority of the English, we were behind those three players. We were supporting them. We knew it was not an easy shot. It is not their fault. It happens. It happens. We'll see now in the, in the next in the next World Cup or in the Euro Cup. We still have more years, and I think this team is a really good team. When they get a little bit more experience, they learn to play together a little bit better. Um, I think the, the, they can go really far. They can go really far. But then again, just to take the, the actions uh, of a few, um, a marginalized minority that honestly people don't even, people don't think like that. I was in a pub full of English supporters and not, and I didn't hear one single racial comment um, about the English supporters. I did hear one though of an Italian supporter that was there. He, 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 he said it in Italian because of course he didn't know that, 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 that the British spoke Italian. Uh, I do to some extent. 
people would say good, people would say bad, but anyway, I understood perfectly well what he did, and he said the same thing I said just before in Spanish, I'm not going to repeat it, but he said it in Italian, um, and then I was going to go towards him, and, and then I saw actually some Italians around him, um, two girls that were next to him, told him, hey, don't say that, and they were his friends, but he was like, oh no, I'm just joking or whatever, but anyway, he, he did get criticised for it, uh, people around him did tell him that, so even the Italians, and that was the only racial slur I heard in that pub when I was watching that match. Not one single England fan said anything about their skin colour or, or nothing abusive towards them, right? And of course, they, they could have been one or two, but we're talking about a very, very small proportion. And again, all these abusive posts were on Twitter. There were around, what, there's 20% of the uh, English population or UK population is on Twitter. How many England fans are there? Millions, there are, there are absolutely millions and racially motivated comments, abusive posts towards these three English players were around, what, 100, um, 200, 100 or 200 more or less. Take that into proportion, that's less than 1% of the people. So I do agree, there are, there are still racists, there are still people that are going to spat out abusive, disgusting comments against other people just because of the colour of their skin. That, that we, we're not debating that whatsoever. But then to just say that England is... Is a, um, is, a, is, is a racist country, it is just not true. I mean, if you've ever been to England, uh, you would see mm, that there aren't many issues regarding that. Well, I have seen, though, uh, some racism in, in the UK, but it's not from where you would expect it. Uh, now it is called positive action or positive discrimination. Again, the positive action is a new euphemism of positive discrimination. Uh, because they, I mean, we put everyone in the sun now, what positive discrimination is, is affirmative action. Um, so it's racism, but against the majority, right? So in this case, white people in the UK. And because uh, the BBC opened an internship for Sprintwatch, I think it was, and they only allowed uh, people of colour or racial minorities to actually apply for that position. And what happened then that, in theory, didn't go against the Equality Act of 2010, because mainly it was just an internship, so that wasn't that wasn't included inside inside that bill. So in any case, they could still do it, but that doesn't that doesn't take out the fact that it is indeed again racism. Positive discrimination and affirmative action is racism. Now, if 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 you think it's positive, then you must think all sorts of racism is positive. Just imagine um, that same application was only white people could join. Right? What, what, why does it change when in terms of just pure skin pigmentation? Why, when it's against some people, it's called positive discrimination, and then when it's, called, it's against some other people, it's racism? Again, these are just euphemisms for exactly the same thing. This is exactly, this is exactly racism. And then, and then when they spoke about, I also saw the BBC that they want to to raise the the, the, the wages of of the people of colour working in the BBC. Eighty uh, percent. Of, of, of the highest paid BBC workers are people of colour, right? Uh, so if we're speaking about proportionality, which is basically what equity wants to do, is to be proportionate. So depending on how much a certain demographic represents in the society, it needs to be represented at equal numbers at every single structure inside that society. In the BBC, around 80% of the highest paid workers are people of colour. And in the UK, it's around 13, 14%, I think, uh, of people in the UK are people of colour. So again, it's even higher than the actual proportion they represent. So that's not equity. If you want to do equity, you need to put it back down 12, 13%, right? But that's not something I defend. What I defend is equality opportunity and then pe let people organise themselves 
in the end to come out to the outcome they wish to come out through either hard work, motivation, interest, um, personal opinions, whatever they want for their own life. And I don't think we should impose that on anyone. I think people should have the choice to be whoever they want to be, to do whatever they want to do, regardless of skin color, religion, uh, where they come from, origin, language they speak, and anything of the sort, right? So this is really what I wanted to come at. Um, we need to be careful when we start, well, making outrageous claims um, and saying that whole countries are, are racist. And going back just to finish real quickly on the institutional racism case and why now is in structural racism, what I just read on a, on a, on a, um, the Washington Post article actually that was speaking about the, um, the, the, the racially motivated comments against Rashford, Saka and, and Sancho after the match. Um, they were basically saying that there was structural racism. And a few months ago, a couple a year ago or something, we always heard about institutional racism, systemic racism, systemic discrimination and whatnot. But now it's structural racism. And, and I really will add, want to ask myself why, because it doesn't really mean the same thing. So why are they changing now the language from systemic and institutional to structural, right? Because I think now they want to make it come by as if it's in the culture, it's in the cultural structures within Western society. And I'm not gonna accept that premise because either where I grew up or the people I know from either Spain, England, France, Germany, Belgium, anywhere in Western society, they're not racist. It's not in the culture. And just because there, were, there was racism in the past, that might have some, a few residues today in society that can happen, for example, in the United States, but that's another issue, um, especially in Southern countries, um, post-slavery and post-Jim Crow, in terms of culture and in terms of education and all that, which there are some issues specifically, but um, that's not to say that today, today there are, institutional powers or legislation pulling people down because of the color of their skin. Well, there is in affirmative action and, and positive discrimination, but I'm saying that specifically people of color in that regard. There, there, there is nothing institutionally uh, pushing these people down. Would they be racist? Are they racist? Yes, there are indeed. That's not my claim. My claim is that systemic racism doesn't exist. Firstly, because there's not one single definition for it, and every every single person, especially on the social justice uh, movement um, and the BLF movement, they all have their own definition, and when they're actually against the wall, having to say what it actually means, uh, they keep changing their own definitions. Ibram X. Kendi is a perfect example of this. He keep, every time they ask him, or every time they give a counter argument to every single claim he says about systemic discrimination, critical race theory, or intersectionality, as a matter of fact, in, uh, in, in, in that case, he keeps giving a different definition and he keeps saying, I never said this. So at some point we need to agree on what the words actually mean, right? And taking the knee means something. There's actual political symbol behind it. And I don't believe that 70% of, of the teams on, in the Euro Cup that did not take the knee are racist. Because that's basically all you're saying. If it's just being against racism, everyone would do that. And we have the proof through the Valencia Cadiz match that was back in April that absolutely everyone was behind that movement, especially in Spain. And Spain didn't still not take the knee. So why was that? And then Priti Patel, basically, she, she, she spoke against what happened um, after the Euro Cup finals. And then this, this English uh, football player, I think it's Tyson, Tyrone, I, I forgot his name, said, uh, yeah, but you said that people take the knee, uh, the England fans booing the players that took the knee 
is they have the right to do that because it's a political stance, taking the knees a political stance. And now, uh, basically, he, he was pointing out the double standards uh, in Priti Patel's comment, um, uh, um, calling out, indeed, these these racist, uh, race, well, these racial slurs against the three players that I've named numerous times uh, now in the episode. Uh, again, it's not the same thing, like I just explained. Taking the knee is not just not being racist or being against racism, if not every everyone would do it. Taking the knee is something deeper, more specific, it is to say you're against Western society, you're against your country, because you believe it is systemically racist. That's basically what it means. And, and I do believe the, even the English team themselves don't even know what it means, because some people have been asked and they generally think that it's just to be against racism. But it's not really that. It has a, again, it has a symbolism to it, symbolism brought by the Black Lives Matter movement. And you can't just get whatever political symbol you want and give your own definition to it. Uh, if, like, I could give, like I said at the beginning of the episode, I can't just take the hammer and the sickle and say, this is uh, the symbol for liberalism. It just doesn't work that way. Even if I want it to be, it doesn't work that way because everywhere in the world, they know that the hammer and the sickle represents communism or like the swastika represents Nazism. Right. Even today, if you want, if you want to put a swastika, and then the uh, the the, the Indus symbol actually, um, I did the research, and then it's actually the swastika the other way round. Right. But even if you do that symbol today, people won't do it. Even if they believe it in the Hindu symbol and not in the swastika that Nazism represented at the time, because they know it actually does carry um, some cultural and symbolic value to it of of many years of killing and the genocide of numerous Jewish, black and LGBT people at the time. And that's why they don't do it. So we need to be very careful with political symbolism. It does mean something. And it doesn't just become whatever you want it to become because because you want it. it. It just doesn't work that way. If it were that way, I mean, we could just give every single definition we want to every single term in the world. But unfortunately, we don't live in that world right now. We need to play the same game and this game is a game of dialogue of conversation and in the game of dialogue and of conversation we need to have the same rules the rules being the definitions of the words we want to use in order to sustain that dialogue and actually come to a conclusion on how we can improve our society today and that's just there's nothing, there's nothing more to it so unless we agree on the words and on the definitions of the words they, 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 there's really no hope for for western society at that point so I apologize for, for the for the lengthy episode this time. I, I actually thought I was going to do it in 15 minutes, but I think a lot of things did. I really didn't need to speak about all of these things. I, say, I think it's extremely important when it comes to racism. I think we should call out any single racist act that happens, racist act committed by individuals, and not directly accuse a whole country or a whole system or a whole culture as racist just because of the actions of a few uh, after a EuroCup final. Again, all my support to uh, Rashford, Saka and Sancho. They did an amazing Euro. Uh, Saka played it's really, really well. Uh, the whole team played really well. I think Gareth Southgate did a really good job too, uh, except at the penalties, I think he could have done something else. But while it happens, we will see next year. We will see in the next uh, Euro Cups uh, in four years. Uh, that's just how it goes. And fortunately, we can't do anything about it. And we should support our England team. Whatever their colour may be, they are all English and they are all part of our team, regardless of what some of some nut jobs on Twitter might want to say because they have the protection of the internet and the an, the animonicity. Animonicity? They're, they're anonymous. Sorry, I, I need to check that, how you say it. But, and they're anonymous behind the screen and, and they think they... they, they 
they can't be attained. But one of them was caught in need and his scholarship was removed from Nottingham University. And I'm really happy about that. People will think twice now before making disgusting comments against specific people. So uh, I'm gonna leave it there for today. Again, I'm gonna try and do two episodes per week and then one longer weekly episode. Unfortunately, my guest this weekend uh, will not be able to join me. I don't think so anyway. If he is, uh, I will try to have that conversation with him and post him. Again, uh, remember to follow us, the civic.space on Instagram. We we do mostly all of these stories there. We announce when we're gonna do a post, we announce when we write an article, or the civic space on Facebook is also a good page that I'm we're trying to use as much as possible and on our website www.thecivicspace.org uh, it's very difficult to say the, the, the triple w but anyway okay uh thank you very much everyone for listening oh i remember if you want to contact us for any reason anything you would like us to or me specifically on the podcast to speak about uh, send uh, an email to contact at thecivicspace.org and remember to like share or subscribe if you liked it share it with your friends a nice comment feedback is always highly appreciated and i will see you at the next episode Thank you very much, everyone.